Just a friendly reminder, it doesn't matter who the Minister of Magic is, it's never okay to call someone a mudblood. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for people with hands big enough to reach out. Me, Gilderoy Lockhart, Order of Merlin, third class, honorary member of the Dark Force Defense League, and five-time winner of Witch Weekly's Most Charming Smile Award. But I don't talk about that. I didn't get rid of the abandoned banshee by smiling at her. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. Hey, guys. Yo. So, sorry, we had... um. We took a hiatus. It was election week. We're recording this on Sunday, November 13th. The election was November 8th. It's been a rough week. So... First things first, before we even do the general top of show stuff, we just wanted to say hello. And if you, like us, are reeling and experiencing some intense emotions and trying to make sense of the world that those of us in the U.S. now live in and seem to have created for ourselves, you know, us too, and we're here, and we're in that with you. And anybody who is feeling scared or vulnerable, know that you have a friend in Heather and I, and don't be afraid to reach out if you want someone to chat with or just, I don't know, just, we're here to listen. I also just wanted to say at the top of this episode, we weren't sure on Wednesday morning whether continuing to make a podcast about the Harry Potter books was a good use of our time and was an important way to express ourselves. And then we thought a little bit about the Harry Potter universe. And um, to be honest, it's giving us some succor and some guidance right now. I woke up on Wednesday morning and one of my early thoughts was that Harry got out of bed after the maze in Goblet of Fire. The Harry Potter books are useful and instructive if you are a person trying to think about how to live in a world that seems to be moving toward intolerance and how to maintain connections and be a good soldier in the fight for good and justice. And they are also, I think for most of you listening, a balm for our souls and that's worthwhile. I would recommend If anybody feels like they need something to give them some relief and guidance and space, these books help. I saw a lot of Harry Potter tweets and discussions in the immediate aftermath of the election, actually. It feels like a source of morality that people are going back to in these very uncertain times when it feels like there's this rising tide of hatred and intolerance and forces that I think we wrongly thought had been vanquished long ago. Yeah, wizards have felt that way too, Yeah, it turns out. And to listeners who are feeling alienated by this, conversation or feel like we're spending some time politicizing these books. I gotta say, if you think that the Harry Potter books are about anything other than 
tolerance and plurality and making space in our lives for hard fights for the rights and freedoms of ourselves and others, I think you're misreading the books. You, you might be reading different I books. I think you might um, be focusing on the wrong messages from these books. So, you know, if you disagree with us, I guess. That's fine. Either let us know or don't listen. That sucks. But I think that these books are very clear on the ground they stake for tolerance and love and togetherness and respect and they are helping me right now so I hope that the quibbler helps some of you a little bit we're thinking about all of you that we know um so I guess let's get into it let's do it a lot of love and uh pain coming from here so this week we're reading chapters that are actually really fun so that's a relief uh we read the chapters in Harry Potter and the what are we reading? Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> We're in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and we read the chapters Gilderoy Lockhart and Mudbloods and Murmurs. This podcast will contain spoilers for the Harry Potter books and also adult language and some adult themes. You already got one of the adult themes, which was election grief, but the rest of the adult themes this week include slug regurgitation, letter bombs, narcissistic personality disorder, ill-advised crushes, and fittingly, bigotry. All right, Heather, are you ready for an incredibly abrupt tonal shift in this episode? (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's talk about magic. So, in these chapters, classes get underway once again at Hogwarts School for witchcraft and wizardry, and they get off to kind of a rocky start because Ron and Harry are at breakfast on their first day and bump 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 motherfucking Errol shows up and crashes into everyone's breakfast porridge with this red envelope, which turns out to be a howler, which is this letter that yells at kids from their parents for them in their parents' voice. So Ron opens this howler and she's screaming at him about voting for Jill Stein instead of Hillary Clinton and, oh, actually, Oh, no. That's going to actually get us in trouble. How dare you vote third party Ronald Weasley? (laughs) Oh, fuck. Okay, anyway. It's a binary choice, Ronald. Your father works for the federal (laughs) government. Your father works for the ministry and is never... Entitlements, Ron. Entitlements. Anyway, what actually happened? We receive wizard food stamps. Uh, sorry, that's they don't, too because that's actually... Too actually, there's no wizard social safety net, which is a huge problem. So anyway, this got off the rails really quickly. But anyway, actually, Ron receives a howler from his mother berating him for stealing the car with Harry, the enchanted car, and flying it into the Whomping Willow. It's this illegal car and being seen by muggles, and they made the paper, and it was just a fucking disaster. Harry and the gang go back to classes. They learn how to repot mandrakes, which are these screaming baby plant things that, well, we'll get into mandrakes uh, in the rest of this episode. Harry has some embarrassing run-ins with Gilderoy Lockhart, who is... How should I describe this? They're like, Gilderoy's just really thirsty with Harry, you know? And he's trying to, like, be Harry's mentor. Lockhart's first class, however, is a total disaster because despite all the many books he's written about his magical adventures, he doesn't seem to know how to do anything. He unleashes a cage of pixies on them and he's not able to 
get them back into their cage, and there's chaos, and Neville gets hung up by the chandelier on a chandelier, so Neville body count. Lockhart tries to tame the pixies with maybe the best spell in all of Harry Potter, which is pesky pis pesky pisky pesternomy. Doesn't work. Um, Quidditch starts up again. Harry has to explain the rules of Quidditch to Colin Creevy, who's this new first-year Gryffindor, who is this kind of Harry Potter stan who follows him around everywhere and hero-worships him. Quidditch practice starts. Oliver Wood is drilling them hard, and we learn that the Slytherins now have new racing brooms donated by Lucius Malfoy. Nimbus 2001s, which are even better than the Nimbus 2000 that Harry has. Um, because... Oh, they were, the brooms were donated by but, Lucius. But why, why did Lucius give them brooms? Because Harry... I don't know why. Because Draco's on the team. Right, oh, yes! Sorry. A little... Sorry, I'm still thinking about um, Medicare being cut. But uh, anyway, uh, the reason the Slytherins have the brooms is because Draco Malfoy is their new seeker, so that's another development in the Harry-Draco rivalry. We discover this because the Slytherins are crashing the field that Oliver's already booked. There's some words spoken between the Gryffindors and the Slytherins, and Draco calls Hermione the M-word, mudblood, which causes a fracas. Ron attempts to curse Draco, but it backfires because his wand is all fucked up from being attacked by the murder tree, and Ron starts belching slugs everywhere. So they have to drag him to Hagrid's house to get him, like, cleaned up, and Hagrid explains to Hermione and Harry that mudblood is this awful term that is used for wizards that don't have, for non-pureblood wizards, basically, that don't have wizarding parents. So there's that. Later on, Harry and Ron have to serve their detentions. Ron gets to go to polish trophies in the trophy room with Argus Filch and his cat wife. And Harry gets to answer fan mail with Professor Lockhart. So neither of them are very happy about that. But while Harry is answering fan mail, he hears this spooky sound from the inside of the wall. Well, he actually doesn't know where it's coming from, but it's this voice saying, let me kill you. Let me tear you. And Harry's like, Jesus fucking Christ. I just want to have a normal school year. This better not be Voldemort related. I don't know if he actually thinks that at the time. Mostly he's like, oh my God, just what? Can you not, Hogwarts? So he goes back and tells Ron about that, and that's where we are. I made it through the summary. It was hard, but... <laughs> you got there. You got there. I'm actually really glad these are the ones that we're doing this week, because there's a few things in these chapters that I just find delightful. Okay. So I think we should just talk about those first. All right. So what's um, delightful thing number one? Let's mandrakes. find some joy. Mandrakes. Mandrakes are so weird. Harry let out a gasp of surprise that no one could hear. Instead of roots, a small, muddy, and extremely ugly baby popped out of the earth. The leaves were growing right out of his head. He had pale, green, mottled skin and was clearly bawling at the top of his lungs. Professor Sprout took a large plant pot from under the table and plunged the mandrake into it, burying him in dark, dark compost until only the tufted leaves were visible. Professor Sprout dusted off her hands, gave them all the thumbs up, and removed her own earmuffs. As our mandrakes are only seedlings, their cries won't kill yet. 
she said calmly, as though she'd just done nothing more exciting than water a begonia. However, they will knock you out for several hours. And as I'm sure none of you want to miss your first day back, make sure your earmuffs are securely in place while you work. I will attract your attention when it is time to pack up. Four to a tray. There is a large supply of pots here. Compost in the sacks over there. And be careful of the venomous tentacula. It's teething. She gave a sharp slap to a spiky dark red plant as she spoke, making it draw in the long feelers that had been inching sneakily over her shoulder. Are they people? This is what I wondered. Does a mandrake have consciousness? That's what I wonder too, because there's all these hilarious kind of throwaway lines throughout the book about the mandrakes like stages of development and they go through puberty and they like kind of get really emo at some point and they, they get have acne a lot of, they get acne but they also then they start moving into one another's pots which i think is meant to imply that they start getting together romantically and like procreating so are these like beings with consciousness oh my god maybe there's a there's a spin-off where the mandrakes realize they're being raised just to be slaughtered for potion and it's like uh What's that book about the clones? Uh, Never Let Me Go. Never Let Me Go. There's a Never Let Me Go. But it's Mandrakes. But it's Mandrakes. <laughs> oh my and god. this is a dystopian, there's Mandrake dystopian fiction somewhere. If there isn't, one of you should write it. I mean, this is hor- This is actually horrifying. It's Damn a baby. It. Actually, do you have to kill the Mandrake? I, That's what's I don't unclear. know because I think that it's their tops. I think it's their plant uh, parts that okay. are used in potion. Well, good. So the Thank Mandrakes god. themselves- then it's just a hair- then it's just a haircut. Right. I think they might get to live, like, long and happy lives in the dirt, which is cute. Professor Sprout- It's not that cute, because the cry of a mandrake can kill you. Okay, but I mean, if they just live in the dirt, it's fine. Right. They don't want to be pulled up, so right. that's why they put the earmuffs on. The earmuffs are adorable. That's such a cute <laughs> part of the scene. I love the image of Professor Sprout in her fuzzy pink ones. Just, like, pull these crazy dirt babies out of the soil and- they're the worst yeah. and also the best. I just think they're so funny. Did we mention that they're used to make this potion that can cure curses or people who've been transfigured? Yeah, Mandragora. Right, That's and Hermione knows that, mm-hmm. so you go, girl. Yeah, 10 points to Gryffindor. She actually gets 20 points. because 20 she, points? Yeah, she knows two separate answers. Oh. And, Arbit- no, I that just... is arbitrary. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. That is uh, why no, is that I don't why is that so. worth ten points? Um, but they always give ten points for correct answers. That seems to at least be a pretty consistent number of house points. So I was noticing that. Ron risking his life in a death chess battle is worth what, like fifty points? Mm-hmm. So five correct answers. That doesn't seem right. Well, I mean, yeah, no. Anyway, right. this is just off sorry, back to arbitrary house points. I don't know. <laughs> They're super arbitrary. But it does seem like in most class scenes, Hermione earns ten points per correct answer. Fair enough. All right, so, so we have the mandrakes. I think they're, they're weird and fun. I think they're so fun. They're, I mean, they remind, they're the same. They're along the same lines for me as the gnomes. Yes. Where it's just the detail of them is just delightful, and I'm glad she wrote it that way, and I'm psyched. And it's fun that the mandrakes appear so early because they turn out to be really, really important. Not to pun out, but it's just kind of like sowing the seeds for <laughs> the actual plot, which is, it's great. And I, you know, Professor Sprout's awesome. She teaches them really, like, actual useful skills, and they... I, they I don't know. learn it seems, a lot. It seems like they're just moving 
No, but I mean, they learn what they do. I feel like they learn a lot in herbology. A lot of the thing, a lot of the kind of like problems they have to solve throughout the books, actually herbology gives them the most, like they, the the plant at the end of the first book that they fall on with the, when Hermione makes fire. I think herbology comes, Devil's Snare, right. Herbology comes in handy a lot in these books. So I don't think it gets enough credit. I also really like the Howler. The Howler's brilliant. Ron was pointing at the red envelope. It looked quite ordinary to Harry, but Ron and Neville were both looking at it as though they expected it to explode. What's the matter? said Harry. She's... she sent me a howler, said Ron faintly. You'd better open it, Ron, said Neville in a timid whisper. It'll be worse if you don't. My grand sent me one once, and I ignored it, and... he gulped. It was horrible. Harry looked from their petrified faces to the red envelope. What's a howler? he said. But Ron's whole attention was fixed on the letter, which had begun to smoke at the corners. Open it, Neville urged. It'll all be over in a few minutes. Ron stretched out a shaking hand, eased the envelope from Errol's beak, and slit it open. Neville stuffed his fingers in his ears. A split second later, Harry knew why. He thought for a moment it had exploded. A roar of sound filled the huge hall, shaking dust from the ceiling. Stealing the car. I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd expelled you. You wait till I get hold of you. I don't suppose you stopped to think what your father and I went through when we saw it was gone. Mrs. Weasley's yells, a hundred times louder than usual, made the plates and spoons rattle on the table and echoed deafeningly off the stone walls. It's funny that your parents can physically yell at you from afar. Except she kind of gives away the goods as to the illegal car by broadcasting it throughout the entire dining hall. Yeah, I remember even the first time I read this book, I was like, why did you put in a howler that he's facing an inquiry at work? Like, A, that seems like kind of personal. (laughs) And B, doesn't that kind of implicate your whole family in this like illegal car scheme is that really what you want to put in a howler like clearly she's just lost her temper she was that pissed but i know i got worried i was like these days you have to be careful what you put in an email i just want to be like mrs weasley like maybe don't put that in a howler like that's going to be an fbi investigation it does burn up though so it's more secure than say an email like wikileaks can't get that shit Ugh, I'm sorry. We're doing this again. We'll stop. <laughs> no, we won't. This is the highly political episode of The Quibbler. We've actually mostly avoided it. This has been a pretty apolitical show. I guess. For the most part. Well, anyway. anyway. So The Howler is great. It's also hilarious. Ron's broken wand is going to make a lot of delightful mistakes in this book. Yeah, it shoots out of his hand and hits Professor Flitwick in the head and... He gets like a green boil. And then he can't, he envelops himself in a cloud of super stinky smoke instead of turning (laughs) a beetle into a button. It actually kind of sucks. You need basically one thing to be a wizard and Ron like doesn't have it. Like Ron can't actually do any of his homework. Yeah, it's like his laptop's broken, but way worse. But he's not going to replace it because he knows his mom will just yell at him again. Also, McGonagall gets mad at him. I noticed that. I was like, McGonagall, it's not his fault. You'd think that they would have some like loner wands. Yeah, you know, school wands. They should have school wands. They don't seem to have any school supplies at all, no. really, other than beetles to infinitely supply you with to turn into buttons. Although, no, because she gets mad when he needs another beetle because he kills his with his wand. No, with his elbow. But anyway, and that's why he's barfing up slugs, which is a, a hysterical scene. And then a related 
just kind of like miscellany magic stuff quibble that I have is racing brooms. Okay, Quidditch is still just a nightmare. Quidditch is nonsense. But here's a new thing that's nonsense. It turns out that the quality of your broom is like not standardized and can vary vastly depending on what model of broom you have. And that basically decides who wins. I mean, not necessarily. Well, it's like if people in- It's a big advantage. It's like if people in NASCAR could have like <laughs> different makes and models of cars and they weren't all the same amount fast. I mean, I don't, is that true? I don't think we know much about how NASCAR works. That's true. I mean, a lot of people use different sporting equipment. Like in high between high schools, it can be really uneven. The quality of your I guess equipment true, and but, coaching. But you basically etc. only have one piece. Of, it just doesn't seem fair that you could get a broom that can go like three times the speed of your rival's broom. And you're just allowed to do that. <laughs> the equipment thing I kind of get, but it doesn't seem fair in an intramural academic setting that one team could just have a really rich donor give them basically Olympic caliber brooms. Right. It doesn't seem like Lucius Malfoy should be allowed to only donate to Slytherin. Like that's not, that's not fair. That seems against like donor regulations. But they have no, well, McGonagall gives Harry a kick-ass broom. Yeah. I don't think that's fair either. Which we said that is... That doesn't seem right. It's crazy unfair. Like, it, well, it just doesn't make any sense that in order to be on the Quidditch team, you have to provide your own broom. No, they have school brooms. No, but I mean... But they suck. Right. So nobody who is on a Quidditch team rides a school broom. They all provide their own brooms. Although then, now I'm, now I'm like contradicting myself because I guess like the whole point in horse racing is you can have like a good horse or a shitty horse and that's like how you win. <laughs> yeah. And it's like all about money. Yeah. It's so like that. So this is just a weird British old school sport thing rather than a wizarding problem. I don't know. I just think the whole broomstick thing is weird. It's also like... I really like how she kind of writes broomsticks as these like amazing kind of like gearhead obsessions but I also don't really get it because like how much different could brooms be but then I also don't understand that about any real muggle sports ball so I'm just like which I think not is, a gearhead which I think it's hilarious and it's kind of a parody of that where they're just ooing and awing over how straight the fucking twigs are and the rest of us are thinking how could that possibly make a fucking difference you know i'm sure if you're michael phelps your speedo makes a great difference you know not not even just swimming but you know fucking rackets do you know anything about rackets well i was actually just gonna say my high school boyfriend shout out if you're listening tony I don't know if that's weird to say. Hi, Tony. Hi, Tony. I remember he was a lacrosse player and he, I remember him just drooling over catalogs of lacrosse sticks and like the different ways that the netting at the top of the lacrosse stick, (laughs) and there were ones that were like thousands of dollars and there were ones that were like $80. And I was like, how could these be different? Yeah. How could these be different? to To me, it's a parody of that. No, I know. And that memory just came to me as you said that. A broom's a handle and some reeds. Right, but a lacrosse stick is a handle and a net. Like, so you're right. That makes total sense. It totally exists in the world of sports. Maybe I just think sports are stupid. These are carbon fiber brooms, presumably. (laughs) I guess. Lightweight and like maybe the quality of the magic is better. Yeah, I think it's, I think it also has to do with the charm itself because the clearly like the brooms are charmed to fly. So I think there's like different quality of charms. We got to move on from brooms. So 
the major character these two chapters center around is Gilderoy Lockhart. And one of the chapters is named after Gilderoy Lockhart. So what do we think of Lockhart? Gilderoy Lockhart is the worst. And I was thinking about this. I think he's my favorite or maybe second favorite secondary antagonist Mm -hmm. in the whole series. Gilderoy Lockhart is so terrible (laughs) in such a hilarious way. So his whole thing is that he's this really hot, famous wizard author that's had he's had all these exploits where he's defeated all these evil creatures all over the world and then he writes these rollicking bestseller books about them that witches in particular are obsessed with and it's sort of like a cult of personality thing i assume the writing isn't very good (laughs) but maybe um, it's excellent maybe the writing's great maybe he's maybe he's partly popular because he's a pretty i mean i actually wouldn't be surprised james fry basically that's kind of a spoiler but yeah he's fucking lying about all of this stuff but he has managed to spin all of these exploits into this crazy personal brand (laughs) that works really well for him and he's uh, by all accounts like smoking hot which is a major part of it i think this is a thing that jk rowling does really really well she's very good at identifying qualities that make someone a good antagonist other than being just mean because Lockhart is he's not awful to Harry in a way that you would really define as evil so his terribleness stems from all these other emotions right well he's not evil but he can he ends up making very bad decisions and dangerous decisions ultimately in this book well I mean I think you can sort of decide that he's a bad guy because he's lying yeah and because he's incompetent and because I think narcissism of this degree is in and of itself could is considered a bad personal quality she's good at identifying the ways that danger and really serious negative consequences spin out of other bad qualities that aren't malice right and she's really good at writing characters that make amoral or immoral decisions out of just self-centeredness and sort of small-mindedness and i think gildare lockhart is a great character for that he's also just he's extremely funny Oh, yeah. The scenes that Gilderoy are in, like, I mean, giving him credit as a character, he lights up a room. He's so funny. And I, his, like, really hyperbolic, over-the-top way of speaking, his sort of hilarious conviction that he is substantially more famous than Harry and that he wants to kind of lead Harry by the hand and teach him how to really, like, milk it celebrity-wise. I mean, it's very funny. The, the, right. the, the situational irony is really, really funny when he tells Harry that he's coming across a little bit big-headed <laughs> giving out signed photographs this early in his career. First of all, he says career, which is hysterical because what fucking career? Harry is famous for just, like, being Harry. Right. Yeah, I know. I love Gilderoy. He loves Pat- Pastels? Yeah. Like, Gilder is not a straight wizard, right? I don't know. I mean... To me, he's sort of like an evil Neil Patrick Harris, (laughs) where he's this like super hot kind of straight sex symbol, but it's just like, oh, I wonder why he never actually settles down with any of these witches who are obsessed with him. And 
I think the reason is he seems to me pretty clearly gay. There's a lot of confirmed bachelors and bachelorettes on the Hogwarts staff. Yeah, overall. I mean, we know this about Dumbledore. I have pretty strong suspicions about Professor Flitwick that we already talked about. Madam Hooch, for sure. Oh, yeah. There's a lot, which I really like. It's yeah, a pretty, it's, nice. it's, it's like a actually staff. a pretty queer staff. So, or I think. I mean, I'm going to make that assumption. I feel like it's whatever. Maybe it's not. She confirmed about Dumbledore. I think she wrote some very fun gay teachers. A part of the first scene in Gilderoy's classroom that I laughed out loud at is when he gives a pop quiz on his books. I thought we'd start today with a little quiz. Nothing to worry about. Just to check how well you've read them. How much you've taken in. When he had handed out the test papers, he returned to the front of the class and said, You have 30 minutes. Start now. Harry looked down at his paper and read, 1. What is Gilderoy Lockhart's favorite color? 2. What is Gilderoy Lockhart's secret ambition? 3. What, in your opinion, is Gilderoy Lockhart's greatest achievement to date? On and on it went, over three sides of paper, right down to 54. When is Gilderoy Lockhart's birthday, and what would his ideal gift be? Half an hour later, Lockhart collected the papers and rifled through them in front of the class. Tut, tut, hardly any of you remember that my favorite color is lilac. I say so in Year with the Yeti. And a few of you need to read Wanderings with Werewolves more carefully. I clearly state in Chapter 12 that my ideal birthday gift would be harmony between all magic and non-magic peoples. Though I wouldn't say no to a large bottle of Ogden's old fire whiskey. And I love that Hermione continues her her streak of knowing everything by knowing all the answers about Kilderoy himself. (laughs) And I like that Hermione buys into the Gilderoy thing. I think it's nicely humanizing. She still kind of hero worships teachers a bit. Well, yeah, but she also has just bought into his, like, cuteness. Yeah, like that's she, true. she always, she turns magenta. She's put hearts around all his lessons. <laughs> you mentioned that you had the impression that he was, like, tricking women somehow. Oh, I just wondered if there was a spell or some kind of potion pheromone he was using but that was just a theory you know he might just be smoking hot and have rakish charm yeah everyone around him seems to fall for him which seems suspicious to me yeah it's a little bit suspicious to me that hermione buys into it but then again like you know she's a she's a young girl so i mean you know yeah you go girl have a crush she's hot for teacher aren't we all i also like that gilderoy's dream like greatest dream is harmony between magic and non-magic people so he has this kind of shallow celebrity liberalism going on that there's clearly not much weight behind that because what's he doing I, I don't know he kind of adopts this because it it's like a good brand move i so, think that's really relevant right now yeah he's completely there's just nothing there right. you know well his other greatest aspiration which feeds into my maybe stereotypical assumption that he's a gay man is to own a successful line of hair care products <laughs> so i mean that is a stereotype but i feel like it's a oft confirmed one I mean, he, he he just wants to own a cosmetics line. That's nice. I know, it is nice. I wish he would just do that. He should have stuck to cosmetics, man. Like, he's, oh, got the, he's got the looks. He doesn't need to do the whole... Right, lying about being a hero yeah. thing. I think he could easily be just as successful as he is without all of the bullshit fake books. You know? Which, I mean, it just is a lesson that... 
You just be a male model for Witch Weekly or whatever. Or like a lifestyle guru, for yeah. real. Like he should just actually just make pomades. He's got style. Yeah, he does. He has a lot of style. He's always wearing wonderful robes. Mauve, palest mauve. Palest mauve. Turquoise. Um, And another, I think another thing that I think is hilarious about Lockhart, and this kind of leads into a big quibble that I have, is the, te- the other teachers fucking hate him. There's all these hysterical scenes where he's like, mansplaining to (laughs) Professor Sprout like how to do this incredibly simple herbology thing or he's like trying to tell Hagrid how to get these creatures out of his well. It's funny how socially unpleasant and unaware he is. It's like kind of hard to understand how he got as far it's just his looks apparently how he got as far as he did because people hate him well Hagrid says it's because nobody else wanted the job so Dumbledore had this pipeline problem basically he couldn't fill it because everyone thinks the defense against the dark arts job is jinxed and also BT dubs the last one had his face burned off by Harry Potter so you know I wonder how widely known that is in like the greater world was that in the newspaper presumably they told their parents I mean the wizarding world is leaky as fuck it, it seems is. like the leakiest of cauldrons the leakiest of cauldrons you know? i still have to question dumbledore's staffing choices yeah dumbledore Two years in a row. Like, maybe we should just leave this vacant or move snape over who clearly wants it snape wants it or you know what have flitwick fill in it seems like all of the teachers would be eminently capable of at least serviceably teaching defense against the or dark dumbledore arts. knows it is jinxed so he's just thinking, ah, fuck this guy. I love that he, not only does he have pictures of himself all over the walls, but he has signed some of the photos hanging <laughs> in his own office. Like, this guy is a sociopath. He's Trumpian in a lot of ways. Yes. He, people like to make the Trump-Voldemort comparison, but it's not. It's it actually, not, it doesn't hold up very well. Right. He is much more like Gilderoy Lockhart in his kind of, like, Lockhart would have a gold house and put his name on everything. Well, the way in which I think they're similar is his credentials are all essentially fabricated. So he sort of has gotten through on the strength of personal charisma and just an intense and incredible and nearly admirable commitment to his big lie. And I mean, I think in this particular presidential campaign, I think Trump got through because he just fucking stuck to his guns and his guns were lie guns. (laughs) Just shooting lies at everybody. I'm rich. I'm a successful businessman. I am amazing. And he backed that up with a certain kind of really effective personal branding and um, charismatic delivery. I think Gilderoy and Trump are similar in that. And the hair. Right. It's true. They both have beautiful golden quaffs. <laughs> but both of them are essentially kind of getting through life on the strength of incredibly effective dishonesty. And Gilderoy would be great on reality television. Oh my god. I would watch any show Gilderoy starred on. I feel about Gilderoy the way I feel about Trump, which is just like, I wish you had just stuck to the thing that you actually do well. Yeah. Nobody wants you here, man. Yeah. Well, the, Jesus Christ, half the, the country wants him here. Yeah, and Dumbledore wanted him. Yeah, well. Dumbledore's <laughs> like, we gotta make Hogwarts great again, man. Ooh, sorry. Just to kind of wrap this up, I think J.K. Rowling sees narcissism as a kind of evil. I guess I like that the ways in which Gilderoy Lockhart is sinister are more interesting to me than the ways in which like Voldemort are sinister. And she's really good at this and she kind of solves one of the big problems that a lot of fantasy writing has, I think. 
which is the kind of boring villain issue, which we've talked about. Like eventually the the sort of pure eye of evil is kind of a boring antagonist. Right. So she sprinkles the books with all these really excellent secondary antagonists that aren't just sort of henchmen. Like it's not like he gets through all the like little bosses and then he has the big boss fight because they're not all Voldemort henchmen. They're all self-interested and dishonest and bad in like other ways. Right. And I, I think it's interesting that you get this picture of like even when you're engaged in this like struggle of good versus evil you still sort of have to deal with people who aren't involved in that fight at all but are so unpleasant and like so such like barricades to like your goals and happiness that it's like distracting these books almost always hinge less on what Voldemort does than on how otherwise normal people react to the threat of Voldemort or decide what to do about it that's really interesting you're right. Because Gildor later in the book will have, it's not explicitly Voldemort, but I mean it is, and he reacts in the worst way possible, and we see this again and again with characters that we even like. Not just the Gilderoys, but... Characters that we even like doing what? Reacting in a counterproductive or self-interested or just flat-out wrong way to the rising threat of Voldemort. Or cowardly. Mm -hmm. Like Percy. Mm, Percy's such a good example. Yeah, but that's 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 all much later. But these books, it's always less about Voldemort's machinations and more about how everyone around Harry responds to Voldemort. Which makes them, to me, more interesting than books where the big boss is always the focus. Right. I like that these books have a lot of kind of uncertainty as to like what side everyone will actually end up on. And I feel like that's really true to life because it's hard to know at any given time whether the struggle you're involving yourself in is important, what the stakes are, who the players are and what they represent. That shifts so quickly in real struggles especially real struggles that like this early on I mean later on it gets more sort of militant and violent but early on it's much more of like a struggle of it's like political and it's a struggle of loyalties and it's also just a struggle of how you live your life morally knowing that there that immoral choices exist and there's a lot of ambiguity throughout the books of what side everybody is really going to come down on and to what extent they're going to like follow through on that and so a lot of these secondary antagonists you're right they're making choices that feel like real choices like Lockhart has sort of created a world in which the one thing that cannot happen is he cannot be found out Mm -hmm. so the choices he makes around that particular motivation link him to evil in a way that it doesn't matter that he didn't start out evil and I think that's really interesting about Gilderoy. So speaking of the choices wizards make and these underlying cleavages in the wizarding world and who's on what side we have this scene on the Quidditch field where the Slytherins are squaring off against the Gryffindors over practice time and Hermione and Ron are also there and get drawn into the fracas Ron gaped open-mouthed at the seven superb broomsticks in front of him. Good, aren't they? said Malfoy smoothly. But perhaps the Gryffindor team will be able to raise some gold and get new brooms too. You could raffle off those clean sweet fives. Expect a museum would bid for them. The Slytherin team howled with laughter. At least no one on the Gryffindor team had to buy their way in, said Hermione sharply. They got in on pure talent. The smug look on Malfoy's face flickered. 
No one asked your opinion, you filthy little mud blood, he spat. Harry knew at once that Malfoy had said something really bad because there was an instant uproar at his words. Flint had to dive in front of Malfoy to stop Fred and George jumping on him. Alicia shrieked, How dare you! And Ron plunged his hand into his robes, pulling out his wand, yelling, You pay for that one, Malfoy! And pointed it furiously under Flint's arm at Malfoy's face. A loud bang echoed round the stadium, and a jet of green light shot out of the wrong end of Ron's wand, hitting him in the stomach and sending him reeling backward onto the grass. Ron, Ron, are you all right? squealed Hermione. Ron opened his mouth to speak, but no words came out. Instead, he gave an almighty belch, and several slugs dribbled out of his mouth onto his lap. And then later on in Hagrid's shack... We learned that this is... It's a hut. It's not a shack. It's okay. Later on, in Hagrid's hut, the fire is crackling merrily as it does, and Hagrid can lay down some wisdom. So, tell me, said Hagrid, jerking his head at Ron, who was he trying to curse? Malfoy called Hermione something. It must have been really bad, because everyone went wild. It was bad said Ron hoarsely, emerging over the tabletop, looking pale and sweaty. Malfoy called her Mudblood Hagrid. Ron dived out of sight again as a fresh wave of slugs made their appearance. Hagrid looked outraged. He didn't, he growled at Hermione. He did, she said, but I don't know what it means. I could tell it was really rude, of course. It's about the most insulting thing he could think of gasped Ron, coming back up. Mudblood's a really foul name for someone who is muggle-born. You know, non-magic parents. There are some wizards, like Malfoy's family, who think they're better than everyone else because they're what people call pure blood. He gave a small burp, and a single slug fell into his outstretched hand. He threw it into the basin and continued. I mean, the rest of us know it doesn't make any difference at all. Look at Neville Longbottom. He's pure blood and he can hardly stand a cauldron the right way up. And they haven't invented a spell our Hermione can't do, said Hagrid proudly, making Hermione go a brilliant shade of magenta. It's a disgusting thing to call someone, said Ron, wiping his sweaty brow with a shaking hand. Dirty blood, see? Common blood. It's ridiculous. Most wizards these days are half-blood anyway. If we hadn't married muggles, we'd have died out. So, we've had hints of this, but now we full-on like, get a better glimpse at Draco and the Malfoys' pure-blood supremacy. I think this is kind of the received wisdom and kind of common thought that mudblood is sort of meant to invoke the N-word. Or something like that. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. If you're listening and you have more solid thoughts about this and you are a person of color, which neither of us are. I don't know how able we are to speak on this, so if you have a thought about that mudblood analog, um, let us know. I, I get what she's trying to do, but I wonder if there's something about it that's sort of like diminishing. I don't know. I mean, if you're gonna teach kids that there are words that describe people different than you, and there are words that you don't use as a polite person or someone who believes that well because it's more than equal, a polite you know? person yeah okay not a polite person that okay there are words that a good person 
doesn't hmm. use to describe other people. Right. It's about how you treat other people, but you can't. It's you know me, what I mean. But I think mudblood is thorny. Right. To me, that kind of analog is I don't know. It's obvious to us, but if you're a young reader, I don't know. That's an interesting way to think about it. You wouldn't want someone to say something like that to your friend Hermione. I guess this is one point where the books really do work better for young readers because for me, the whole mudblood thing is like a little bit on the nose. Yeah. In a way that feels, I don't know, if it's, it's, it feels weird to me. I don't quite know how I feel about it as a sort of made up term meant to represent something real and hugely hurtful in the real world. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I it makes sense. I don't know if I'm, I'm not disagreeing with it. I'm just saying that I have more unease about that narrative strategy as an adult. But at the same time, I guess you're right. It's for young readers and this is a really clear way of teaching the lesson that words matter and there are ways of describing difference and then there are ways of disparaging difference. Right. And this is also... Draco had these thoughts in book one, but he hadn't really solidified them yet, and he hasn't gone there yet. And it's there true. Are it's words... an important character moment for Draco, because Draco is like a... its He's a wizard bigot, and he sort of outs himself as such. Right. Well, he's doubling down and committing to that by right. using the word mudblood. There are words you use to... In order to cross your, a line. Yeah, and to put yourself in one tribe or the other. That's true. And there are also, I think that's that the fact that they're 12. I also feel like it's a thing that happens where you see a kid try out Mm-hmm. his worst word for the first time. Yeah. And the consequences of that shape worldviews. Yeah. It's a choice Draco makes and it marks a loss of innocence for all four of the characters we're talking about here because Harry and Hermione are initiated into this fact of wizarding life. Ron is very aware of it because his parents have obviously had these discussions with him because Ron is very upset and he knows the implications of what's being said. And Draco has basically cast his lot by saying this with the pure-blood supremacists. That's such a good point. You're right. It is a moment when all four of them kind of enter a new part of the wizarding world by being exposed to this really explicit hatred and prejudice and the language matters because you need the word that is the divining line and it's interesting because words are so important in harry potter because they literally summon magic and in this way draco has cursed her without using his wand it's that powerful this label it's like worse than almost anything he could have done and you see actually ron's spell is completely ineffectual for one thing his wand backfires he attempts to curse draco but no matter even if he had hit him with the slugs it almost would have been less hurtful than the fact that Draco used this word that says, you are not one of us, you are other. You're bad, you're unclean. You will never earn my respect. Mm -hmm. So. And it's such, okay, maybe so, maybe I'm taking my doubt back because the other thing it is, is such an evocative term. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I've actually seen some trolls on Twitter. Alt-right types are trying to appropriate mudblood. They're co-opting mudblood. No, I've seen that. I've seen people called mudblood on Twitter. Mm Mm-hmm. And that makes me so mad. Like, get the fuck out of Harry Potter, you guys. Get the fuck out. Yeah, the Slytherins are bad, guys. Uh, BT dubs, you're not supposed to act like Slytherins. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of problematics with the Slytherins all being just bad that we've talked about. Yeah. But, right, at very least, the Malfoys are bad. Yeah, you don't act like the Malfoys. No, the Malfoys should not be your heroes in this book. If you're being In trans- this scene, Draco is not an anti-hero. Draco is... Is he did something bad. He did right. something wrong. But the fact that it's being used in real life 
shows that, well, one, people are doing that to be transgressive and, like, jackasses. Right, but also language has power. Mm-hmm. And fi- and fiction has power. Fictional worlds have power. Right. Aw, okay. That's, like, a dark reason to come to a kind of neat conclusion. Yeah. So, I mean, J.K. Rowling knows that words matter and the word mudblood matters and has incredible power in this book it's an ideology if you say that word you're aligned with one ideology yeah if you say that's not an okay thing for us for wizards to say then you're in the other camp god this is a perfect chapter for this week yeah oh that made me feel weird all right well and ron to his credit this is how you know the weasleys they have problems but ron fred and george do what you're supposed to do in that situation right and say you do not no that's true. Yeah, the, the, the Weasley parents have taught them well. Mm-hmm. They've raised really moral kids. Yeah. And they've raised kids that are just like, we're not afraid of bullies. Like, no. Yeah, just we don't say this. You I'm know. pretty impressed with, I mean, like revealing the family secrets in The Howler aside. Yeah. I'm pretty impressed in this in the, these chapters with the Weasley parenting strategies because the kids turn out great. Yeah. Mostly. I have one more little quibble or a little I guess question that I have um before we close I don't really get what defense against the dark arts is supposed to be because they it seems just like sort of bizarro care of magical creatures because it's all dark creatures and I don't even know like are pixies dark uh, they get later on they get into more of the spells and curses and things right but like I mean that. it just seems like the first okay like to me you go in to do a Defense Against the Dark Arts class, and it seems like you learn about Grindelwald and Voldemort. Like, you learn about dark wizardry. Because the dark arts, to me, means, like, human wizard sorcery, as opposed to, like, weird, bad creatures. I don't know. It seems like they start with creatures and then graduate to other topics. But can creatures be dark? Because creatures don't really have intent. I guess that These gets are into wizarding it. definitions, man. You're right. You know? But pixies, and I know that's like a particularly dumb and bad class, but like are pixies dark creatures? They're just like weird. I don't know. Are cockroaches dark creatures? We don't No, like I don't think so. I don't think if I went into like a Spiders? defense against the dark arts class for just non-magical humans, I would expect it to be about it- like war you wouldn't be learning how to like fight tigers no or whatever exactly <laughs> it wouldn't be about spiders like it would be about like you know war and famine it would be about like the things that people do to each other that are dark not just like here's a bad here's a creature that might like eat you i think they they graduate up yeah well other, i guess it's they also talk about the cur- in goblet of fire they talk about the unforgivable curses and all of yeah that. But I mean, I guess maybe it's just the teaching problem too. They just have never had a competent defense against the dark arts teacher right. there's, and there's, everybody's just obsessed with like creatures. There's clearly no like mandated curriculum. There's no wizard in common core. Although I guess there are the OWLs that everyone has to take. Right. But. They're ill prepared for those. You know, I don't know. In defense against the dark arts anyway. Yeah, no, that's just a question I had. I was like, in what way is Pixies like even a part of this? Well, they're tricky little blighters or whatever. I just, is Gilderoy Tricky says. dark? They hang Neville by the shan- from a chandelier. Yeah, that's true. They fuck with Neville big time. But I mean, so does everybody. Like, in that case, Filch is the dark arts. Filch is the dark arts. <laughs> Fair enough. Certainly Filch's cat is a dark creature. Yeah. Mm, I think she's ambiguous. I think Amoral. she's... Yeah, no. Ugh. I'm going to be asking myself what the deal with Mrs. Norris is. They're just slipping... The rest of my life. They're just living their truth. Yeah, it's true. They're just living their man-on-cat love truth. Ugh. 
Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero, we kind of gave her some props earlier. It's Professor Sprout. She wants nothing to do with Gilderoy Lockhart. She's putting slings on the Whomping Willows, busted up arms, and... She's a baller. Yeah, I just like how she's teaching class. Some plant behind her starts getting feisty, and she just whops it. (laughs) That's right, the venomous tentacula. Yeah, so, you know, go Professor Sprout. Solid teacher. Uh, Mine is Oliver Wood. I deeply admire Oliver Wood's commitment to the absurd. Like, you don't have to practice Quidditch. (laughs) They go in and he gives them like a three-hour lecture on like strategy for the year. And I'm sitting, I'm just reading this like, nothing matters that any of you are talking about. It's like, get Harry to get the snitch and everybody else can literally take a nap. Maybe Fred and George need to practice. They need to hit some, yeah. Everybody else just keep it from getting embarrassing. Keep us within 150 points. points. That's not hard. They could like Ferdinand the bull and just literally pick flowers. And if Harry catches the snitch, they win. So all of this is to say that Oliver Wood maintains a sort of psychotic but admirable and beautiful commitment to his passion, which is the worst sport ever. Although props to J.K. Rowling for sneakily getting the rules of Quidditch into the exposition. Oh yeah, he explains them to Colin. Colin Creevy wants to know how it works, and Harry's like, I, it's there's, fucking stupid, but I'll explain it to you right now. There's a couple of masterful moments of exposition in these chapters. A couple of times I was like, wow, you packed a lot of really important background into like two sentences. Yeah. She's a great... Just getting us caught up. She's, she's If you haven't really read the first book, although it's weird if you... You're just picking up Chamber of Secrets and you haven't read Sorcerer's Stone. That's... I think it's not to catch non-readers up. It's like, because there were like a year in between that's books true. when they mm-hmm. were first coming out. I remember like I was a little foggy because I read them like as they On came out. On the rules out. of Quidditch. The rules of Quidditch are catch the snitch, nothing else matters. Bye. Bye. <laughs> that, uh, god damn it, Quidditch. Yeah. It only matters. I mean, Harry's broom's still fast, so maybe they shouldn't even be pissed about everybody else's super fast brooms. Yeah, but... As long as they can stop them from scoring 150 points. But Draco's broom is now much faster than they Harry's. They can keep it so in it. So even if Harry is a better seeker, Draco still has the advantage because his broom is faster. But it doesn't matter because it turns out Draco's shitty. Good lord. I know. It's Quidditch. so dumb. But still, Oliver Wood, like, works hard, shows what, up. What tactics is he even coming up with? So Quidditch remains ridiculous and barring a rules change. I would still go to a Quidditch match, though. Yeah, I mean, be fun. But there's no food, though, it doesn't seem. <laughs> so that sucks. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe we got through this episode. That's we did rough it. going for a minute. Yeah, you know, we gotta, we gotta yeah. fucking live our lives, we man. Do. Everybody live their lives. I hope you're doing that. Take some care of yourself. Yeah. Next week, we've got, are we doing two chapters? Yeah, sure. Okay, next week we've got two more actually really fun and, again, action-packed chapters. We'll be reading The Death Day Party and The Writing on the Wall. A lot's going to happen. This week's episode is brought to you by Spellatape. The wand chooses the wizard, but sometimes the wizard fucks up. So, Spellatape, for all your wand repair needs. It's weird that they have tape that ju- that's for repairing wands. It's not that weird. Their wands are really important. That's true. We have a little, we have those little air horns that are just for cleaning computer keyboards. Yeah, I guess that's not weird at all. No, <laughs> it's not weird. Thanks, I like Spellatape. I like that it's called Spellatape. Me so. too. Uh, bye. Have a good week. We're not Take done. Care of no, yourselves. no, no, no. What do we have no, to say? No. We have oh. to tell everybody about, we have all the end matter. Oh, shit. I totally forgot. Oh, I'm a mess. Okay. The audio clips that you heard this week come from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. 
uh, provided by Penguin Random House Audio, available wherever audiobooks are um, available. Yeah. Find them. They're great. Pottermore, Audible, whatever you like. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. If you want to get e-owls from us, go to tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast. We'll be sending out another great e-owl email this week. We will indeed. And if you have some thoughts on this episode, which honestly y'all might, uh, you can email us at quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. I know, she got edgy and topical this episode. I'm... It's the HBO of uh, Harry Potter podcasts, maybe. Maybe it's not. It's more like the daily show of Harry Potter. I guess that was on... No, that was on Comedy Central. Yeah. Shit did get... I don't know if it got Last... edgy. It certainly got topical. It got topical. It got really topical. I'm not actually that sorry about it. I think... We live in the world harry potter lives in the world well a world he does harry potter fights hard and so can we yep thanks guys so hang in there thanks amigos wait for me i've never watched a quidditch game before it'll be really boring